0: Welcome to the Council of Institutional Investors podcast on Corporate Governance and Financial Regulation. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. The purpose of these monthly episodes is to update CII members and the general public on developments in corporate governance and related CII advocacy activities in connection with the administration's initiative to reform the U.S. financial regulatory system. This update covers the period from June 2nd to June 30th. On June 2nd, the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs and Budget Committees held hearings to consider the nomination of Russell Boat to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget, or OMB. Asked about President Trump's October 2019 executive order regarding the treatment and process for developing agency guidance, Mr. Boat observed that often there's a culture that would require guidance not to go through notice and comment. In a cost benefit analysis process, and said OMB very much wants to make sure that when agencies are using guidance as a reason to regulate, that goes through the same procedures as a normal rulemaking would. He added that with the issuance of the executive order, OMB is on the road to ingraining that culture in the agencies, and reported that the vast majority of agencies have complied with the first deadline to establish websites compiling the guidance documents they continue to rely on. In addition, he said, President Trump's May 2020 executive order directing agencies to identify and report on the regulatory standards that have been rescinded or modified during the COVID-19 pandemic has provided an opportunity to find things that agencies might not have seen before as potential areas of the regulatory initiatives had we not gone through this unfortunate crisis and said he's expecting those recommendations soon on june 8th house financial services committee ranking member patrick t mchenry of north carolina sent a letter to the securities and exchange commission expressing support for the commission's efforts to simplify and improve the exempt offering framework and encouraging the Commission to move swiftly to adopt its amendments to its exempt offering rules that were proposed back in March of 2020. Arguing that the increasing complexity of the exempt offering framework presents challenges to market participants, Representative McHenry notes that he supports the proposed amendments to streamline the offering framework and increase offering and investment limits to reflect current capital raising trends. On June 10th, the Senate Homeless Security and Government Affairs and Budget Committees favorably reported to the full Senate the nomination of Russell Voigt to be OMB Director. Mr. Voigt has not yet been approved by the full Senate. The House Financial Services, Investor Protection, Entrepreneurship, and Capital Markets Subcommittee held a hearing at which Securities and Exchange Commission Chairman Jay Clayton testified on the state of capital markets in light of the COVID-19 pandemic, and Chairman Clayton fielded questions on the commission's regulatory and enforcement activities. Subcommittee Chairman Brad Sherman of California highlighted HR 7000, the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act. That bill would generally prohibit the securities of a company from being listed on any of the U.S. securities exchanges if it has failed to comply with the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board's audits for three years in a row. Chairman Sherman said he hopes that in evaluating whether to impose the requirement and measuring what portion of the audit is unavailable to the PCAOB, that the SEC would not look at audit hours. Noting that he looks forward to working with the commission on the bill. Asked whether the SEC would have full rulemaking authority under HR 7000, to ensure that multinational corporations doing a small amount of business in an uninspectable jurisdiction are not intentionally caught up in the bill, Chairman Clayton responded that he believes the SEC has the authority to do so, but noted that if lawmakers have further nuances or further direction, the commission will welcome them. Chairman Clayton also said he continues to expect The commission will finalize changes to the proxy rules by the end of the fiscal year, which ends on September 30th. Chairman Clayton argued that the SEC's proxy advisor proposal is intended to improve the proxy process, provide greater transparency and good information to the people who have to vote. In addition, Chairman Clayton predicted that the SEC will finalize its proposal to harmonize the exempt offering framework by the end of the fiscal year. In addition, Chairman Clayton predicted that the SEC will finalize its proposal to harmonize exempt offering framework also by the end of the fiscal year. Following the hearing, Committee on Financial Services Chairman Maxine Waters of California sent a letter to Chairman Clayton reiterating her call for the SEC to halt rulemakings unrelated to the pandemic. Chair Waters explicitly criticized the SEC's attempts to expand the private markets through its March proposal, expanding the exempt offering framework. She stated that private markets lack critical investor protection safeguards, are highly illiquid, and lack the transparency investors need to make informed investment decisions. Chair Waters also expressed deep concern that the SEC has continued to work towards finalizing the SEC's November 2019 proposal relating to rule 14 a 8 or the shareholder proposal rule. Water stated that, that that proposal would create harmful changes that would significantly curb shareholder rights, significantly hampering shareholders' ability to submit and resubmit proposals to the board of directors of the companies they are invested in. Turning now to the Trump administration, on June 2nd, President Trump nominated Hester Peirce for a second term as SEC commissioner. That second term would expire on June 5th, 2025. Commissioner Peirce has been serving as commissioner since 2018, and her initial five-year term expired on June 5th of this year. On June 4th, President Trump issued a memorandum directing the Treasury Secretary to convene the President's Working Group on Financial Markets to discuss the risks to investors stemming from the inability of the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board to inspect audit working papers of the registered audit firms of certain chinese publicly traded companies the memorandum directs the president's working group which includes the chair of the securities exchange commission to issue a report to the president within 60 days that includes recommendations for actions in three areas one actions the executive branch may take to protect investors in the united states financial markets from such risks two actions the sec or the PCAOB should take including inspection or enforcement actions with respect to PCOB registered audit firms that fail to provide requested audit working papers or otherwise fail to comply with the United States securities laws. And three, actions the SEC or other federal agencies should take to protect investors and foreign companies that do not comply with the U.S. securities laws and investor protections, including the initiation Of a rulemaking intended to set new listing rules or governance safeguards on june 16th president trump announced plans to nominate caroline crenshaw to fill former sec commissioner robert jackson's seat on the commission jackson left the commission in february to return to teach at nyu law crenshaw currently serves as senior counsel at the sec and as a captain in the US Army Reserve in the Judge Advocate General Corps. Since joining the SEC in 2013, Crenshaw has worked in the Office of Compliance Inspections and Examinations, the Division of Investment Management, and as counsel to former Commissioners Jackson and Kara Stein. She focused on legal and policy analysis related to corporate governance, investment management, enforcement, international regulation, and the oversight of self regulatory organizations. Before joining the Commission, Crenshaw practiced law in the Washington, D.C. office of Sutherland, Asheville, and Brennan. There, she represented public companies, broker dealers, and investment advisors on complex securities law investigations and enforcement matters. On June 22nd, the Department of Labor proposed amendments to the Employee Retirement Income Security Act, or ERISA, that would codify the agency's current stance that plan fiduciaries must select investments in courses of action based solely on financial considerations relevant to risk-adjusted economic value the proposal aims to distinguish between legitimate use of risk return factors from inappropriate investments specifically those that sacrifice investment return increase costs or assume extra risk to pursue non pecuniary objectives The proposal recognizes that some ESG factors can carry pecuniary import, citing examples of improper disposal of hazardous waste and dysfunctional corporate governance. The appropriate test the proposal explains is whether a given factor presents risk or opportunity that a qualified investment professional would consider a material economic consideration. Additionally, the proposal adds language required investment analysis and documentation in situations where fiduciaries are choosing between indistinguishable investments the proposal also repeats the proposition that ERISA duties extend to a fiduciary selection of investment choices offered under 401k type plan the labor department will accept comments on the proposed rule through july 30th cii currently the labor department will accept comments on the proposed rule through july 30th council of institutional investors currently plans to submit a comment letter in response to the proposal let's now move to recent activities of the u.s securities and exchange commission on june 2nd appearing on bloomberg tv sec chairman jay clayton discussed the state of u.s capital markets in light of the covid 19 pandemic Rulemakings pending before the Commission and S 945, the Holding Foreign Companies Accountability Act, the legislation I referenced earlier that would prohibit the securities of a company from being listed on any of the U.S. securities exchanges if it has failed to comply with the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board's audits for three years in a row. Noting that the principal difference between Chinese companies listed on U.S. exchanges and other foreign companies listed on the U.S. exchanges is the ability of the PCAOB to inspect audit work papers of those companies. Chairman Clayton argued that the asymmetry with Chinese listed companies versus other companies from non-US jurisdictions has gone on for too long. And the first step is to make sure investors understand it. He also described S945 as a sensible piece of legislation, noting that it allows for a period of time to come into compliance. And if a company does not, then it's time to take measures beyond just disclosure. He also agreed that the legislation is something the SEC could enforce without too much difficulty and argued that this is a very sensible way to approach a problem that's been around for a while. In addition, he stressed that the commission has not put its policymaking agenda to the side during the COVID-19 outbreak and predicted that the SEC will finalize revisions to the proxy rules this fiscal year. Or as noted earlier by september 30th noting that he's pleased with the rigor that the sec staff has applied to all of the comments the commission has received on the proxy proposals on june 5th cii and the institutional limited Partners association wrote to sec chairman clayton asking for more transparency on the nomination process for the sec's investor Advisory committee or the IAC. Until recently, each commissioner essentially named IAC members. Now, apparently, SEC Chairman Clayton staff is making recommendations to the commission, and IAC members are appointed by all commissioners through some type of consensus process. The day following the issuance of our letter, the SEC added instructions on the web page for the IAC on how individuals can be nominated for the committee. The SEC named a class of new IAC members on May 15th and some other members whose terms ended went off the IAC on June 9th those now retired members include former IAC and CII chair Ann Sheehan Paul Mahoney professor of law at the University of Virginia law school has been named the IAC's interim chair some additional members are expected to be appointed to the IAC over the next several months On June 16th, the DC Circuit ruled that the SEC's transaction fee pilot program is an unprecedented action that clearly exceeds the SEC's authority under the Exchange Act. The program, which CII had supported, was set up to study how the securities exchanges pricing might create conflicts of interest for brokers that harm investors, would have required the exchanges to set up a pilot program lasting at least a year to test trading with lower fees and rebates. The SEC approved the rule requiring the test in 2018 new york stock change nasdaq and exchange operator SIBO global markets sued the sec in 2019 to block the rule the three judge panel at the dc circuit stated that nothing in the commission's rulemaking authority authorizes it to promulgate a one-off regulation merely to secure information that might indicate to the sec whether there's a problem worthy of regulation john ramsey who's chief Market Policy Officer for Stock Exchange Startup, IEX, and served as Acting Director of the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets, points out that the court's decision remands the matter back to the SEC, which can proceed to take further action that aligns with the ruling. He explained, for example, that the SEC could include a new rule to limit or ban rebates or reintroduce a pilot based on a review of evidence that rebates create a present harm that needs to be addressed. SEC Chairman Clayton said in a statement that the Commission accepts the decision of the DC Circuit and appreciates the guidance it provides. He also pledged to move forward with the Commission's efforts to improve and modernize the national market system. In a June 18th letter to the SEC, the Council of Institutional Investors commended the NASDAQ for proposing rules that would require companies from restrictive markets, including China. To have their independent auditor subject to inspection by the public company accounting oversight board. More specifically, CI recommends that NASDAQ number one require that listing applicants and listed companies from restrictive markets be prohibited from initial or continued listing if they have an auditor or an accounting firm engaged to assist with their company audit that's located in a jurisdiction that limits the PCOB's ability to inspect the auditor. Two, the NASDAQ issue denial or delisting letters to those companies, informing them of the factual basis for NASDAQ's determination and their right for review. And three, the NASDAQ provide the NASDAQ hearings panel the discretion to grant a listed company an exception from the proposed rules for up to 540 days after receiving a delisting letter. CII's letter concludes by stating that we believe that the proposed rule with our revisions could be a model for all exchanges that would be directly responsive to president trump's statement that quote the time has come to take firm action in an orderly fashion to put an end to the practice that has tactically permitted companies with significant chinese operations to flout protections united states law requires for investors." In United States markets, unquote. On June 25th, CI submitted a comment letter to the SEC in response to two additional NASDAQ proposals to add listing criteria for companies from China and other foreign markets that restrict US regulatory oversight. CI's letter references our June 16th letter that I just summarized and states that NASDAQ's proposed additional listing criteria for companies from restrictive markets, including additional requirements related to the qualification of management with experience related to U.S. federal securities laws should be a supplement to, but not a replacement for the requirements of the initial NASDAQ proposal with the revisions recommended by CII in our June 16th letter. On June 24th, CII submitted a letter to Chairman Clayton regarding a June 24th statement by the SEC chief accountant on the appointment process for a member Of the public company accounting oversight board who has chosen not to stand for reappointment referencing ci membership approved policy and the relevant provision of the sarbanes-oxley act on the composition of the pcob board referencing ci membership approved policy and the relevant provision of the sarbanes-oxley act on the composition of the pcob board our letter indicates that given that investors are the key customer of audited financial reports the pcob as the independent audit standard setter should include at least one qualified investor on its five-member board. In other governance news, on June 9th, the Council of Institutional Investors issued a call to action recognizing that our investing community will deliver more for all of us when all members of our community are treated fairly and structural discrimination is dismantled. The statement acknowledges CIA members' longstanding efforts to achieve greater racial, ethnic, and gender diversity on boards and in management, and for a workplace culture that embraces equal opportunity, respect, and fair treatment. Our letter asserts that justice demands that we all do more. On June 11th CI sent a letter to the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, expressing strong support for and offering suggestions for improvements to the board's critical audit matter disclosure requirements or so-called cams which became effective for the audit reports of large companies last year our letter states that we believe cam communications have improved investors ability to analyze companies financial statements and make investment decisions and that reviewing cams has become an important step in many investors due diligence processes despite expressing approval for the PCOB's requirements for cams Our letter criticized the quality of many companies' CAM disclosures being uneven, saying that they generally failed to provide the key observations of the auditor with respect to the CAMs that were identified as part of the audit. Our letter emphasized the importance of this information, noting that auditor insights about CAMs identified during the audit were the very type of disclosure requested by many investors during the development of the PCOB standard requiring CAM disclosures. Finally, on July 11th, CI responded to a European Commission consultation on a potential update of the Commission's 2014 Non-Financial Reporting Directive, or NFRD. Since 2018, the NFRD has required certain companies with more than 500 employees, including some private companies, to include a non-financial statement as part of their annual reporting obligations. In its response, CII noted that companies are under increasing pressure to respond to individual demands for non financial information, and CII supports greater standardization of disclosure requirements to help relieve this pressure. Responding to requests for three specific topics in need of improved disclosure, CII listed human capital management, cybersecurity, and practices pertaining to global and or systemic threats. CII also said disclosure on governance should be improved, as well as disclosure on the strategies and processes for identifying and managing material ESG risks and opportunities. CII asked that European regulations follow disclosure standards set by a limited number of independent globally recognized standard setters with rigorous and transparent processes. That completes my corporate governance and financial regulation update. If you have any questions regarding any of the issues discussed, please feel free to email me at jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.